0: Father, we, we acknowledge the truth behind that, and God, we claim that right now. The reality is that we are walking in victory because we no longer face the defeat of death as a result of sin, but we walk in, our, in the grace of Jesus Christ, knowing that we've put our faith and trust, if we have put our faith and trust in Jesus That we walk in life and we can understand and experience life and life more abundantly as you've laid it out to us in scripture. God, I pray today that as we dig in, as we look at your word, that you would speak truth to us, that your spirit would convict us, that you would rightly divide the word of truth amongst our hearts, that we would understand what you have called us to do, God, knowing that forever you will be lifted high, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Um, you going to have a seat as you do. Uh, I'm gonna ask you to turn to Titus chapter two, um, and I'm excited to continue our series. And I wanna, first of all, uh, encourage you and thank you for coming out last week. Uh, we figured roughly about 50 people showed up for our, our impact independence from our church. There were 131 total from the two churches. It was awesome to serve with another church, number one. Number two, it's awesome to see that we're on the same team, unlike today, um, where so many of you are on the wrong side of the railroad tracks as everybody else wants to stone me. I'm just joking. (laughs) Hey, uh, it's great to know that we can come together as churches uh, and work together, realizing that we have one goal, one accomplishment, and that's to see people come to Jesus and to see our community transformed by the truth of the gospel. So if you have your Bibles, Titus chapter two, uh, I'm gonna read it. You don't have to stand or, well, actually, let's go ahead and stand. I know it's just 15 verses. Uh, We're doing all of Titus two. So you better pray that I speak fast so you can get home in time for the Chiefs game. But if we're divided, just a, or if we're a little long, you're just gonna have to forgive me. Uh, but listen, Titus chapter two, we have a lot to cover and a little time to unpack it. Listen to what he says. You must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love and endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home and to be kind, to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled in everything. Set them example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, soundness of speech that cannot be condemned so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Starting in verse nine, teach, us sla- or teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything and try to please them, to try to please them, not to talk back to them and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way that will make the teaching about God, our savior attractive for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the curious, or sorry, curious, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. These, then, are the things you should teach." encourage and rebuke with all authority and do not let anyone despise you. Maybe have a seat. Let's pray real quick. Father, we pray again that you would speak to us through your word and that your spirit would be moving and active around us right now. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Um, Listen, we're continuing our sermon series through the book of Titus. And today we're gonna jump headfirst into the shallow end of the pool. And we're not diving at an angle because we're diving like straight in. All right, and in in the world or in the idea of the world, we're jumping into the shallow end of the pool in, in the opinion of today's culture. In other words, we're gonna address some things today that are gonna be things that we have to deal with as a result of what Titus was facing. If you remember anything about the book of Titus, Titus stays at Crete. Paul told him, hey, I need you to stay at Crete. I need you to appoint elders. And then remember this, I want you to teach sound doctrine. He lays this out and he says, the reason why I want you to teach this sound doctrine that we see in chapter two, verse one, is because if you remember in the beginning parts in, at the end of chapter one, There were people who were in it for themselves. In other words, they were in it for money. It says that in verse 16, they claim to know God, but by their actions, they deny him. They're detestable, they're disobedient, and they're unfit for doing anything good. And these were people that had crept into leadership positions and teachings within the church. They were teachers. And Paul basically says, look, they're they're teaching false As a matter of fact, if you were on Facebook at all this week and you follow any sort of Christian things or Christian ideology and thoughts and processes and things like that, you'll understand that Benny Hinn, any of you have been watching Benny Hinn or had watched Benny Hinn in the past, Benny Hinn came out this week on his show and called him his own self out. He confessed to teaching a prosperity gospel and says point blank. I have been called on the carpet. I have been addressed by individuals, and I am confessing before you that what I taught was false. Completely floored me, as well as I think most other people who used to follow, because he says, if somebody preaches to you that you need to give $1,000 to receive the blessing of God, that's a complete heresy. And I went, who possessed you? That's my thought process. (laughs) Because if you know anything about Benny Hinn, Benny Hinn was always the guy who was like, send in your thousand dollars, that's your seed blessing. And as a result, he became a multimillionaire. And he may not, I don't know. We'll let God deal with that at that point, all right? But what I'm saying is when we get to the sound doctrine aspect, you have to begin to understand that there are people who have risen up within church circles that teach things that don't line up with what scripture says. And so we begin to understand that we have to be impacted by scripture more than anything else. And what I want to say today is this, that the church today, in my opinion, has been more impacted and shaped by secular culture more than it has been shaped by sacred scripture in many things. The church today desperately needs to hear and heed the words of Titus chapter 2. As a matter of fact, we need a healthy diet of doctrine. As a matter of fact, if you're a disciple of Jesus, you have to understand the idea of health. When we talk about healthy eating, healthy eating is oftentimes not easy. I mean, it's quick and easy to go to McDonald's, Right? It's quick and easy to hit Dairy Queen up for a blizzard or drive through the Sonic drive through It's easy to go to Backyard Burger or Taco Bell, but the reality is healthy eating is not easy. As a matter of fact, it's not simple and it's very costly. And likewise, what we have to begin to understand is healthy diet of doctrine within the life of believers is something that is not easy. It is difficult. It is costly. But you have to understand that in order to be a healthy Christian, a healthy disciple there has to be something taking place here. And so Paul lays this out that a disciple is an idea or a person who has a healthy diet of doctrine. In other words, doctrine being what we build our life upon based upon what scripture says. So Paul lays out God's expectations in these five major groups defining godly living that is consistently shaped by sound doctrine. In other words, these five groups, older men, older women, young men, young women, and what he classifies as slaves, we're going to look at in the the perspective of servants. We're going to look at in the perspective of how we are employed. And he says, in those five groups, these are the ways you should act in accord with sound doctrine. Why? Because our lives reflect what we believe. Remember the end of chapter 1 they claim to be godly, but they deny the God, the same God that they claim to be worshiping. They deny him by his lifestyle. Let me ask this question. And it may be somebody you can think of right away, but can somebody in your mind, does somebody pop in your mind who claims to follow Jesus but denies Jesus by their lifestyle? Don't blurt it out, don't say anything, but I want you to think of that type of an individual. There are a lot of people who claim Christian beliefs. Even in America, we are flooded by people who claim Christianity just because they say, well, I'm not Muslim and I'm not Jewish. But the simple fact is to claim to be a Christian means you claim to be a Christ follower. It means at some point in time, you've put your faith and trust in Jesus, that Jesus Christ died on the cross, that he rose again, that he offers me freely, not based upon any good works, not based upon anything I can do or what I can buy. He freely offers me grace, the grace of forgiveness that he paid the price for on the cross. And he says, I did it for you because you can't do it for yourself, and now I want you to walk with me. See, a Christian is somebody who understands the truth of the gospel, follows the gospel, lives the gospel out. Listen, doesn't mean you're perfect. Doesn't mean you're sinless, First John. He who claims to be without sin is a liar and the truth is not in him. It just means that you are a work in progress pursuing a relationship with Jesus on a day-in, day-out basis. Here's the reality True, genuine faith is going to produce true, genuine fruit. We begin to see this played out. See, the gospel takes root in the heart before the gospel produces fruit out of the heart or outside of the heart. The gospel has to take root in my heart. It has to to bring something that's dead. Think about this. The gospel brings something that's dead to life. Something that's black and decayed. You ever watch like the Disney movies where it's a deep dark or, or, or like uh, the greatest showman where it's something that's dead, the house is dead, got all these vines growing through it. And then all of a sudden, you know, they go and they fix it up and it's come to life. There's, there's life in it. The, the reality is that's what takes place because the gospel takes root in the heart before the gospel produces fruit outside of the heart. So here's the key statement. If you remember anything else, I want you to remember this. Sound doctrine leads to a steady faith, self-control, and a strong witness. Sound doctrine leads to a steady faith, self-control, and a strong witness. Now, listen, I told you today we're diving into the shallow pool or the shallow end of the pool, and we all know what happens when we dive into the shallow end of the pool or what potentially could happen. We all know the warning signs. We all know the difficulties. Matter of fact, you know, I've, somebody's like, oh, don't dive in the shallow end of the pool. I'm like, no, just don't be an idiot and dive straight down. You could dive into water that's two feet deep as long as you dive in an angle. Don't be a moron, all right? But we're dumping into the shallow end of the pool almost in a straight down trajectory when it comes to dealing with what society says versus what scripture says, In other words, there are things today that we're going to address that are completely biblically based, but at the same time, society says, oh, you don't have to do that. You don't go that way. This is crazy. And so when Paul comes to Titus and he says, Titus, here's the big deal. Verse one, you must, this is not an option. You stick to, you have to, this is a command. You must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. In other words, the whole idea is that everything in, in, in your Christian faith... Everything in the gospel is wrapped up by what I'm telling you you need to teach. You stick to scripture regardless of what anybody else says. You stick to the sound doctrine that you have been taught. You stick to the understanding that scripture is first and foremost priority in everything you do. And I'm gonna ask you this question because when we get down to where the rubber meets the road, the struggle is this. When doctrine is taught, when things are taught within the church, and then all of a sudden we go... That's good for you, but that's just not good for me because it's 2,000 years later, Brian. You gotta kind of wake up. You know, the world's changed, times changed, people change, situations change, so you're just gonna have to get with the times. That right there is what I'm talking about when we're diving into the shallow pool of opinion because what we look at and we go, fine, God, guess what? You gotta change. Now, if we start to go down that road of, God, you've gotta change, at what point do you stop Because any sort of compromise we begin to go down is the compromise that exactly is exactly where we're at leads to a disintegration of the faith. That Jesus can't be the only way. That Jesus would never expect me to live like that. That Jesus, you know, come on, Brian. You you know, it's just not gonna happen. There's an old saying, a matter of fact, I grew up listening to a DC talk, but in a DC talk, he said that the people deny Christ because of the very people who say they follow Christ, but deny Jesus by their lifestyle. Here's where the rubber meets the road that I'm talking about. Our job, our role as believers with our faith and trust in Jesus Christ is to follow what he's called us to follow. So we're gonna dig in and we're gonna understand that. So sound doctrine leads to steady faith, self-control, and a sound witness. I want you to see three things today. I don't have a question, but I want you to see these three things. Number one, healthy doctrine is the habitual diet of healthy disciples. Healthy doctrine is the habitual diet of healthy disciples. Healthy doctrine is a habitual. What's that mean? It's a habit, Right? It's the habitual diet. Matter of fact, you know what the hardest thing about eating healthy is? Developing the habit, breaking the old bad things. You know, the, for me, ice cream after every meal. For me, hey, I can get fries with that. For me, oh, I'd rather have a Dr. Pepper than water. Healthy doctrine is the habitual diet of healthy disciples. I want you to understand what plays out here. That means that in my relationship with God, that I have to take in scripture first and foremost. Healthy doctrine is the habitual diet. That means I can't go without it. I need it. It's a habit. It's something I have formed. It's something I get up. It's it's one of those things that when I get up, I just go and do it. Or maybe it's when you go to bed or maybe it's when you get home. I know some people are like, man, I get up at two o'clock in the morning or three o'clock in the morning. I am not reading scripture at two o'clock in the morning because number one, I won't pay attention. Number two, I'll fall asleep. I understand that, completely understand that. My question is, are you habitually taking in God's word on a weekly basis or do you just kind of let it, or a daily basis, or you just let it go? See, after warning about the false teaching, Paul comes to this point to challenge Titus to teach sound doctrine. And what I put in, into my life, what I put into my body affects how I live. A healthy diet contributes to a healthy life. You can't argue about that. Now, don't get me wrong, it's nice to splurge. But if I want to be a strong believer, and here's where I say where the rubber meets the road, the reason why I believe we have so many half-hearted, half-committed, weak, struggling, dealing with difficulty Christians is because the simple fact is we don't have a healthy diet of habitually taking in God's word. That's why we deal with so many of the difficulties we face. You know, the, the hardest thing to realize is most people think, oh, if I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that means I'll never have any issues or problems. <laughs> At which point I say, yeah, you might want to read the New Testament. Because the early believers, they were persecuted. The early believers, they lost jobs. The early believers, their families were killed. The early believers, it cost them everything to follow Jesus. Jesus. Healthy doctrine is the habitual diet of healthy disciples. Listen to again what he says, and I'm gonna jump into what it means. He says, teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. See, Paul is encouraging Titus after reminding him that people will claim to know God, but by their actions they'll deny him. He's trying to say, here's what I want you to understand. In order to grow a church, in order to grow as individuals, in order for the church to be something that impacts culture and impacts community, then we have to stick to what is sound. What is healthy? What is biblical? And and here's what I want you to begin to understand. Teach the older men to be temperate. Now, while we understand the focus is towards an age thing, I want to encourage you with this. It's not just an age thing. It may be a maturity thing. The simple fact is that there are people who have been in church for 40, 50, 60, 70 years in some places that are still acting like infants or children. Because it's not about their way. They don't get their preference. They throw a little temper tantrum. You ever seen a toddler in a high chair? You know, I used that illustration about a year ago where a toddler's in a high chair and they start throwing their food. <laughs> I don't want it. <laughs> You're like, what are you doing? I'm gonna beat the crud out of you. You keep throwing it. No, not really. Like, why are you throwing food? What the heck's wrong with it? And the kid's like, I just don't want it. Just <laughs> off my high chair. But that's how people act sometimes. Fine, I'll, I'll show you. I just won't give. How do you like that? Healthy doctrine is the habitual diet of healthy disciples. So listen to what he says. I want you to understand. It's not just an age thing, even though he's addressing the age thing. It's a maturity thing. And the reason why I bring up the maturity thing is because that's what happens. God wants to take you from where you're at to where you should be. In other words, where, If you were to identify where you're at now spiritually in a relationship with him, maybe you're, maybe you're an infant, maybe you're a child, maybe you're an adolescent, maybe you're a teenager, maybe you're somebody who would say, right now, you know what, I'm not even at the table because I don't believe yet, or I haven't put my faith and trust in Jesus. But here's what I want you to begin to understand. If you're in the same place next year as you are now, what that would tell you is, especially if you're a believer, you're not taking in a healthy diet, habitually healthy diet of doctrine, God's Word. That you're sitting there. You're not flourishing. You're not thriving. You're not even experiencing Jesus on a daily basis. So I want to go over quickly these three or f- uh, five areas, real quick. Number one older men. We need, and, and I'm, I'm just going to throw this out there we need more and more of these men in our churches. Period, point blank. We need men who will rise to the occasion, who will be wise in decision-making, who will be careful when they're making judges, who will lead the way with their families in the gospel. Listen to what he says. Teach older men to be temperate, this whole idea is this wise in decision-making and careful when making judgments. That I'm gonna be temperate in what I do. Not just temperate, but worthy of respect. We need men who are gonna be worthy of respect, who go after what is noble, morally valuable, and worthy. Matter of fact, I'm just gonna throw this out there because everybody kinda of wanted to stone Vice President Mike Pence, because he followed the Billy Graham rule, but in today's sexually charged, sexually explicit, the problem with all the sexual immorality and the sexual uh, uh, abuse that has taken place, it is wise for men not to meet with women by yourselves, period, unless it's your wife. I don't know, give a cred where you're at politically. You got a problem with me not meeting with you as a woman, because I'm a man and you say, well, that's on you. No, no, it is. It is on me, you're right. And the reason I do that is because I think it's above reproach. Number one, I wanna defend and protect my marriage all the time with my wife. Number two, I don't care what you think. I really could care less. If that offends you because you're so feminist that you can't respect my viewpoint on the fact that I'm just not gonna put myself in a situation for anybody to question it, that's on you. Number three, I always want to stand above board because you never know when somebody can make a false accusation. And I want to be able to say that I was never with you by myself. So there's no way you can cast that accusation without having somebody else to prove it. So I want you to understand this, worthy of respect means you respect my viewpoint on my stance because I believe that it is a healthy nature with which I say I'm never going to be with a woman by myself other than my wife. I hope you like that. If you don't like it, I'm sorry all right? But that's just the way it's going to be. So he says, worthy of respect. That's a huge thing. They will go after what is noble, what is morally valuable, and what is worthy long before they'll listen to everybody else. You know, what I find ironic about going back to that situation. Everybody flips out about a person saying that, but then they flip out and go, how can these sexual abuse things happen? Well, number one, it's called wickedness and evil. Number two, you take a man and a woman, you put them in the same room, eventually something's gonna happen. It's just the way it is. Listen to what else he says, self-controlled. Men, it is our responsibility to control the desires we have within ourselves. So I'll go right back at what I just said. It is your responsibility to make sure that you Take control of every situation, not putting yourself in that situation, number one, and treating women with respect, not degrading them, talking down to them, or treating them like a piece of meat. So men who are gonna be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and then listen to this, sound in faith. This is the idea of confidence and trust in the Lord, rooted in your daily walk. Not only to know who he is or what he believes, but to also know why he believes what he believes. Self-controlled, temperate, sound in faith. And then listen, in love and in endurance. This idea of having love and patience and enduring till the end. Listen, I, I know without a doubt, one of the hardest things, and ladies, I'm not trying to degrade you or anything else. One of the hardest things to do is to be a man in the world and follow Jesus. And at the same time, love your family and lead them in a way that says, We're going the complete opposite way. And one of my challenges to you as women is to stand behind your husband, to lift him up, to encourage him, to support him, to walk with him, to to deal with the difficult issues as we do that. So I'm gonna jump in. So we got older men. This is the way you're to respond, all right? Look at verse three. Likewise, teach older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanders or addicted. Here, here's what we begin to understand, that this is an example of what is good and righteous and holy in older women. Here's one of the things that I think misses or is missing in a lot of ways. We need you to pour into the lives and invest in the young women in the church. That's not an option. It's not a, well, I just don't think I have anything to offer. You have everything to offer. If you've been a believer for a long time, if you've been married for a while, you have everything under the sun to offer our younger women, everything. They can learn from you. They can learn graciousness. They can learn hosting. They can learn... They can learn how to treat their husband, how to treat their kids, how to provide for things like that. There are all kinds of things that take place, but I also want you to understand this is what we need. The church needs more Titus II women, T2 women. Remember, we could throw that. We need more T2 men. We need more T2 women. We need more T2 young men, and we need more Titus II young women. This is a simple fact, that's what we need. We need more and more of this to take place. See, here's the other thing it says. It says to be reverent in the way they live. In other words, to respond to God in a reverential, expecting way, knowing that he wants to talk to me. Number two is this, this is what he says, to not be slanderers. Now the word there is this. I find it very interesting. Do you know what the word there is in the slandering word? It's diabolos. Anybody know what word we get from diabolos? Huh? The devil. In other words, a woman is not to be devilish with her tongue. Now, I think this all the way around. I'm not just going to point at you women, all right? Everybody should watch the way we speak because out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. But the idea is, is that we're not slanderous in the way we speak. In other words, we don't use our tongue in a devilish way to undercut and undermine. It's funny, so growing up, uh, we would have large sleepovers, like at my house, like for my 16th birthday, we had like 10 guys, like, yeah. And Sarah's like, uh uh-uh, nothing good comes out of more than three girls in a house at a time. And I'm like, why not? She's like, you know how girls talk? Nope. No, I don't get <laughs> them. I'm not one of them. You know? And so I'm just throwing this out there. If that's the case in the teenage children phase, I'm sure it's the case oftentimes in the adult phase that women, maybe you use the tongue in a devilish, slanderous way. Maybe it's a conference thing. I don't know. But the idea here is that we teach each other not to be slanders or listen, to be addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good what is right, what is noble. When she speaks, matter of fact, if you go to Proverbs chapter 31, there's a beautiful thing about how women are, are, are adorned, a beautiful woman, a woman of, of God. But when she speaks, she speaks the truth in love and in grace, and she will always stand on that. So this is the idea. Listen, here's the other thing, and, and, and as it goes on, we're gonna deal with kind of older women and younger women together, but listen to what it says. Then they can train the younger women to love their husbands. Listen, we need you older women to step in and show our younger ladies how to love their husbands. And I'm not, listen, older men, I think it's responsibility to also teach younger men. But I want you to understand this. If our divorce rate is so high, if the fact that we have so many people cheating on each other in this world, we need older women to show us by example and with great grace how to love or how our younger women can love their husbands. Now, there's gonna be some pushback here, okay? But I want you to begin to understand and listen to what he says. He says, then they can train younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, and to be busy at home. Now, before you go, oh, there you go. There's the slavery issue. You're forcing us into the home. Hold on a second, all right? Go to Proverbs 31, read Proverbs 31. Matter of fact, I'm gonna jump over there just real quick and I I wanna just explain a couple of things that take place in Proverbs 31 because a lot of times people go, see, it's the role, you know, going the old school way. It's the role of the wife, you take care of the house, all right? She takes care of everything at the home. Now, husbands, I wanna be very clear. There are a lot of things that for some reason, maybe it's ego, maybe it's chauvinism, but you have usurped or handed off authority to your wife when that was never the intended case. Listen to what she says in in Proverbs 31. A wife of noble character who can find... She is worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. She selects wool and flax and works with her eager hands. She is like uh, like the merchant ships, bringing her food from afar. She gets up while it is still dark. She provides for her family and portions for her servant girls. She considers a field and she buys it. Out of her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She sets about her work vigorously, Her arms are strong for her tasks. Now, let me be very clear in what's going on here so that we can begin to understand. A lot of people go, so is the the wife's role in the house and not in the workforce? Yeah, both. It's in both. The idea of this text is to literally carry it across this way, that your heart would be for your home first. It doesn't mean you can't work. In the past, people would say, see, that's what it means. That's why you're not supposed to work. You're gonna care for your home. No, the first role is that you care for your home, yes. That nothing usurps the love you have for your home, first and foremost, for your family, for your husband, for your kids. Nothing should usurp that. But at the same time, remember going back to Proverbs, it says she works diligently and with eager hands. She's in the marketplace taking place. So listen, there is a both end. The context and the point of this is not that you can't do that while you work, but it's very simply this. And I want to read a quote that I found. It's by John Stott. It says this, it would not be legitimate to base on this word, either a stay-at-home stereotype for all women or a prohibition of wives being professional women. What is rather affirmed is that if a woman accepts the vocation of marriage and has a husband and children, she will love them and not neglect them. What he is opposing is not a wife's pursuit of a profession, but the habit of being idle and going about house from house. So you hear what I'm trying to say? It's not a subservient role. It means that women can be out in the workforce and be professionals. They can also be stay-at-home moms. That's up to your decision and up to your choice. But the simple fact is, is your heart driven for your home? Do you love your husband? Do you take care of your kids? Are you taking care of those things? That's what it says for the older men or older women to cheat, teach the younger women. So we begin to understand what's taking place in this, not a subservient. And I hope you hear over and over from me, you will always hear this, that men and women are created equal in the sight of God, but we are given different roles as well. Okay? So we begin to understand what's taking place. It says to be self-controlled, to be pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. Number two or number three, actually, we're gonna kind of go, uh, that kind of covers younger men or younger women and older women. Younger men, I want you to listen to what he says in verse six. Encourage the young men to be self-controlled. In everything, set them example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, soundness of speech that cannot be condemned so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about you. So here's the idea for younger men is that they be taught what it means to be self-controlled, to have a good example, to learn to follow Jesus day in and day out, to look and to learn from older men of faith, to watch how they grow, to watch how they treat others, to watch how they serve within the church, to watch how they work within the church, to watch how they work in their society, in in their culture, in their job, day in and day out. Healthy doctrine, based upon these things, healthy doctrine is the habitual diet of healthy Disciples, And then listen to what he says. This is the last group, the last group of five. He says, teach slaves to be subject to their masters. Here's what I want you to begin to understand. First and foremost, slavery, in the sense of slavery and what we've dealt with, is wrong. We can look at that based upon the value aspect. But here would be the issue of what's taking place here. As a matter of fact, I think even biblically we could back this up, that slavery was something that was normal. It was, it was an everyday thing back then. But if you read all throughout Scripture, they talk about how you treat your slaves. In other words, somebody who may have been sold to them at the time actually worked for them, and they were told to respond in a certain way, even to the point of offering them their freedom. But I want you to play it out this way. When it talks about teaching slaves to be subject to their masters, I want you to throw this in there. Teaching employees to be subject to those over them. Here's the sound doctrine issue that I want to begin to kind of dig into and and just hit. We live in a culture right now that authority is completely rejected. Whether it's political Law enforcement authority, teacher authority, people within the home authority, we live within a culture that everybody says, no way. You don't listen to those people. You don't need to listen to them. You don't need to follow them. Just reject any sort of authority. All you got to do is watch what's going on in our news. I'll tell you, rejection of authority is utmost right now. Listen to what he says, teach slaves to be subject to their masters and everything, to try to please them, to work for the benefit of your employer, to please your employer. Now listen, this is up to a standard or profession that lives up to the biblical thing. If they tell you to do something that's unbiblical or ungodly, now we take a stand and say, whoa, hold on. But listen to what he says, not to steal for them, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. The way you work and how you work amongst the people around you, how you respond to authority to those who are over you reflects greatly about who you are, what you believe, and what you believe about Jesus. I've said this and I say it over and over and over again. As a Christian, you should be the hardest worker. As a Christian, you should be the one who says, hey, if that's what you want me to do, fine, I'll do it. As long as it's not violating any biblical law that stands up. oh, I'm not stealing, okay, we're good. Unfortunately, and I don't know why, I have no clue. Some of the people I've been around who claim to be believers are the worst workers I've ever been around in my life. And I don't mean to make that degrading. If you're a hard worker, great. I wanna give you a pat on the back. But I have been around people who claim to be believers and work as bare minimal as possible. And it's embarrassing. You should be the hardest worker You should bend over backwards to make the success of the business your priority. Why? Because you are working for a boss who his goal is the success of the business. And listen, here's what he says. So that in every way, they will make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive. How you work, how you respond in work, and how you work for your employer speaks volumes about what you believe, and it speaks volumes about the gospel, how you work should be reflected day in and day out in what you do. So here's number two. I spent a lot of time on that. I told you we're gonna spend a little bit. Number two is this, all right? I want you to see three main things. Sound doctrine leads to steady faith, self-control, and a strong witness. Number two is this. God's grace teaches us to live godly lives. God's grace teaches us to live godly lives. Listen to what he says in verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, and it teaches us to say no to what? ungodliness and worldly passions. Listen, here's one of the biggest struggles we'll all face. Day in and day out, you're gonna be bombarded with ungodly thoughts and worldly passions and desires. You're gonna be overrun by them. You're gonna be around people who are gonna speak about them. You're gonna watch TV that's gonna promote them. You're gonna be in movies that's gonna project all of those types of things. And what you have to begin to understand that that battle for your mind and that battle for that desire has to be taught because God's grace teaches us to live godly lives. When we reject God's word, when we walk away from the doctrine, when we reject God's grace, guess what? We're gonna be turned over to those very things. But God's grace teaches us to live godly lives. So we go back to it. It teaches me to say no to the ungodly things in my life. There should be no question, do I or don't I watch pornography? No, you don't. Do I or don't I steal from this person? Do I or don't I work hard? Do I or don't I name it up there? Throw it up there. God's grace should always teach us to live godly lives that reflect him, to say no to the worldly desires, to say no to the worldly passions, to not follow those things. We have to begin to understand what takes place. See, salvation is a wonderful doctrine that is badly misunderstood, especially as it relates to our understanding of the work of Christ. And here's how I wanna lay it out. It's not popular today to claim that Jesus is the only way or that you can do nothing to earn God's grace. Everybody wants to say, hey, hey, hold on a second. Jesus can't be the only way. There's gotta be multiple ways to God. If there were multiple ways to God, why would Jesus have to die on the cross? Nobody ever has a good answer for that. If there were multiple ways to God without Jesus, why would Jesus even be obedient to die on the cross in the first place? There are not multiple ways to God. There's one way based upon scripture. Remember, a healthy diet of doctrine habitually leads to healthy disciples. Based on scripture, there is one way. Direct quote from Jesus, I am the way the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. A direct quote from Jesus. Now, I've been around multiple people who say, man, I love Jesus teaching, but I'm just not so sure that he's the only way. If you love Jesus teaching and you deny the very words he says, you don't love Jesus teaching. That's a contradiction. Jesus claims to be the only way. And so we have to begin to understand that God's grace teaches us to live godly lives. So universalism, which is the idea that many ways or unlimited ways to God is thrown out. There's salvation paths that we begin to see here. Listen to what he says in verse 13, all right, or verse 12 and following to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our God, our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. I want you to see salvation in three separate ways here. Number one is the past, that God delivered us from sin's penalty. That's justification when Jesus died on the cross. Number two is this, the present, that God delivers us from sin's power. That's sanctification in my life when he says that we're being able to choose not to give into the worldly passions, but rather that we wanna live upright and godly lives in this present age. So that's the present. So you got justification. I'm justified in Christ once and for all by Jesus' death on the cross. Sanctification is an ongoing work in my life where God says, Hey, the things you're battling with on a present day, we can walk you through this, but it's a sanctification process. It's a thinking process. I have to begin to take in more and more of of God's word. And then the last thing is the whole idea of glorification that we will be delivered from sin's presence when Jesus comes back. There's the doctrine of salvation in three ways, past, present, future. Future. Past Jesus died on the cross for all mankind and all who put their faith and trust in him. Present that I am being sanctified, I am being washed, cleansed daily by the word, by the word of God in my life. And third, the glorification that when Jesus comes back, I will be glorified and I will no longer battle the sin nature that I face right now, but I will be glorified to be in the presence of the Savior. So God's grace teaches us to live godly lives. And if you have any questions, I wanna give you a couple verses you can read. Galatians chapter two, starting in verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the son of God. First Corinthians six, verse 18 through 20. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received? from God, you are not your own. Contrary to popular belief, diving into the shallow end. You are not your own. When you put your faith and trust in Christ, you cease to exist in your life. Your life is lived in obedience. Because listen to what he says. You are not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. And the last one, Philippians chapter one, starting in verse two, let me flip over there, or in verse 20. Listen to what he says, Philippians 1 verse 20. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or death, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. Striving for godly living is based upon the fact that sound doctrine rooted in God's grace is our understanding. And number three is this. Godly living leads to a faithful gospel witness. I want you to see in verse 15 and following, and I really wanna point back. It says, these then are the things you should teach. Encourage and rebuke with all authority and don't let anyone despise you, all right? The ownership for discipleship always falls on the membership. The ownership for discipleship always falls on the membership, not the pastor. The pastor's part of the membership, but the ownership for discipleship always falls on the membership. And when we begin to understand this, we begin to see this in verse five. Listen to what happens. When godly living leads to the faithful gospel witness, we begin to understand in verse five, listen, no one, so that no one will malign the word of God. Listen to verse uh, eight, that we will make the teaching so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about you. Verse 10, that uh, so that in every way, they will make the teaching about God our savior attractive. And then we see in verse 14, that we'd be eager to do what is good. Godly living leads to a faithful gospel witness. That we would be eager to do what is good. That we would make Jesus attractive to those who have never responded to him. That even in the midst of what we do, that as we live, they would have nothing bad to say about us because we live good, strong, biblically moral lives. And at the same time, that no one can malign the word of God because they know that what we say is what we do because what we do is what we believe. So, we have to begin to understand that sound doctrine leads to a steady faith. It leads to self control and it leads to a strong witness. When the church is built upon sound doctrine, then we can understand and know everything that God has for us. See, the reality is everyone is in the game, no one is excluded, no one's sitting on the sideline, no one's just being fans. But everyone, every believer, every disciple, every member should have ownership for discipleship. I'm gonna leave you with this and this is how we're gonna close. Listen to Martin Luther and what he says. I live as though Christ died yesterday, rose again today and is coming tomorrow. So my question when we get to this is this is your life a gospel proclamation or a gospel hindrance? Does your life portray and project the truth that you believe Jesus died on the cross for your sins, that you believe everyone was created in God's image, that everybody has value and purpose and meaning, that everything I do, whether in works, in deeds, in actions, and what I say speaks volumes about who Jesus is. Or does your life hinder people from coming to the gospel? Would you sit back and say, you know what, my life just doesn't project Jesus. Let's do this. I'm gonna pray. As I pray, here's what I wanna do just as you're sitting. I'm gonna have the ushers come forward. We're gonna do the offering here as soon as I get done praying. So we're gonna do the offering, all right? And then we're gonna close with this song. If you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, here's what I wanna encourage you with is this. In order to live a sound life, in order to be built upon and, and to be able to be effective, to walk, to stand against the storms and everything else, first and foremost, your relationship with Jesus has to be nailed down. And then from there, you need to begin to grow. And we're gonna to start to lay that out over the next couple of weeks of how you can do it. But here's what we did today. As you leave, we got this new foundations, New Testament scripture reading. All right? On this, it's an hour, it's not an hour, sorry. It's a chapter a day. Look at it, five minutes. Five minutes, chapter a day. Inside, some of you have never done this. Inside is what we're calling a HEAR journal. And we're gonna ask you to commit it. Go out to Walmart, I don't care what you do. Go buy a moleskin, buy a spiral notebook, I don't care. But we're gonna ask you to continue to commit to growing in your relationship by doing what we call a HEAR journal. The simple fact is we got a lot of believers who are very shallow in the faith. We don't know. We can't build our lives upon the doctrine that God has given us because we don't know God's word. And so you'll see very self-explanatory and I'm gonna explain this more over the next couple weeks to get you into it. But if you go home and read this, it's very simple, I'm not asking you to do a dear diary entry. This is between you and God. You're not gonna share it with anybody else, but you're gonna begin to take notes on what you read. You're gonna begin to try and apply it to your life so that you can grow that's why we went with an hour. I believe it's better, or a chapter. I believe it's better for you to do one chapter and understand it and apply it than to read four chapters and walk away going, I have no clue what I read. So we're gonna ask you as you go, if you didn't get one in your bulletin, grab these as you're on your way out. So I'm gonna have the ushers come forward. We're gonna pray. We're gonna do offering. As soon as offering's done, we just go, you guys can get started. As soon as the offering plate passes you, you can stand up where you're at. We're gonna close with this song. Father, we thank you. For the fact that you've called us to a higher standard, we know that you are making us a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We know that we cannot settle for what the world says is okay, but you have called us to a higher standard. So, yes, God, I pray today that maybe there's somebody here who's never put their faith and trust in Jesus and say that's me. Maybe there's somebody today who wants to make this church their home and they say I want to commit to becoming a member. Maybe today it's just somebody who says, you know what, I have been playing the game for far too long and I need to be obedient. We pray today that you would work. We pray today that you would use this offering to benefit your kingdom. It's in Jesus' name we pray.